Hi, and welcome to episode 25 of Exploring Astrophysics, a podcast where I speak to people coming up with novel and exciting ways to further our understanding of the universe. Today I am joined by Dr. Christian Burns, a senior lecturer at the University of Sussex, whose interest lies in the formation of the early universe. Um, how did you end up in astrophysics and what were the experiences and opportunities in your life that led you here? Right, good question. Um, I mean, as a kid, I never knew I would end up doing this. I was interested in looking at the stars. I, I built a little wooden tripod out of well, wood and um, to put my binoculars on, but I wasn't one of these sort of people who could look up and name the different constellations or things like that. Um, I guess as I went through school, I found maths was my strongest subject and also something I enjoyed. So at the beginning, I was more into maths and physics and I studied maths at Cambridge. But I found myself getting more and more bored of the really pure mathematics because I found I had quite good intuition to guess if something was true or false, but I could never prove it rigorously enough to please my tutors. He really wanted a very, very painstakingly, almost boringly, precise you know derivation of the steps and so I started to look for something where intuition was encouraged rather than you know sort of where it was all about the rigor and so I went more to the applied maths and then I was thinking now what if I want to keep studying what's actually what's got big open questions still today and I thought well cosmology is somewhere where things are still changing relatively quickly and there's still things, big questions we haven't answered. Um, so it seemed exciting and, you know, a strong background in maths is, is essential to be a theoretical cosmologist. So I had that sort of right tool, even if I didn't have all the physics, I had the right sort of background to, to mm. pick up. Um, so, sorry, go ahead. No, I was thinking, there was a second part about the opportunities. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to know what sort of circumstances and opportunities did you get access to or did you find out about that sort of, you know, led you towards astrophysics specifically? Mm -hmm. um, it's not easy to say specifically astrophysics. I mean, I had good opportunity in the sense that my, my dad has a PhD, although in psychology, but already that, that made me just think about a PhD felt like an option in the way it might not have to somebody who didn't have any parents, you know, or anyone close to them who, who had done that. Because it's not obvious sort of why you do a PhD. I do. It's not for the money, it's more for the love of the subject. Um, specifically cosmology, I guess I, I kind of fell into it thinking about the different areas of physics or applied maths, which just seemed most interesting. and. To me, the sort of the big questions of what was the beginning of the universe, how big is the universe, and what's the future, it just sounded more interesting than some of the other questions at the time. Like, I really enjoy geography, but and when I did say flow dynamics or study of uh, weather systems, which to be honest is much more important for humanity, but it just didn't, I didn't enjoy the math that they do. It was all basically, you almost have to go to a computer straight away. To do anything useful as in cosmology there are still things you can do on pen and paper which are useful and um as a sort of pure theorist i like that mm -hmm. 
So you mentioned that you were interested by these big questions in cosmology, right? So what, what, what kinds of questions were you really interested in and have you perhaps continued to do work in or mm -hmm. look into? Yeah, so the, the early universe, it's sort of mind-blowing that we can say anything about what happened nearly at the beginning. That immediately caught my, caught my interest. And one thing is just, yeah, what was the beginning? Why is there a beginning? Why is there something? Um, I'm not pretending to have answered those questions, but I've, my PhD was on that sort of thing. It was about the very early epoch called inflation when the universe, we believe, expanded exponentially. It grew by a factor of trillions and trillions in a split second, which is, again, pretty mind-blowing. Um, it sounds kind of ridiculous to claim that happens, but if you do the careful mathematical prediction, starting with quantum mechanics on the very small scale, because the early universe was very small, it then grew out exponentially. So very small scales became large, meaning quantum mechanical scales became classical, became much larger. And one can explain the, the origin of the galaxies, which, you know, the galaxies, massive objects through quantum mechanics, plus this exponential growth of the whole universe. Uh, that, that's just a really beautiful and fascinating thing that you can connect the very smallest, the quantum mechanical or quantum field theory to the very largest galaxies, uh, galaxy clusters. Um, by, and you're, so you're sort of using the whole universe as a particle physics experiment to probe very high energies, very high temperatures, very small scales. And it's all been done for free, uh, except now we are living some 13 or so billion years later and we have to, you know, do like a detective job to look backwards by looking at things far away from us, which are, because they're far away, it took light time to travel to us. So we're looking backwards in time, but we're still not looking right back to the beginning. We're looking as far back as we can. And then we still have to deduce which equations in the very early universe are consistent with what we see today. And I, you know, I think either the fact that you're matching quantum mechanics onto the scale of the universe is amazing. And secondly, the fact that after so many billions of years, without time travel, we can at least have a sensible theory of the early universe is again, and pretty impressive. So correct me if I'm wrong, but we still, scientists still don't really have a way of um, resolving both the very small in quantum mechanics and the very big, so like black holes and galaxies. Have you been working on sort of looking at the gap that exists between these two fields and, and sort of consolidating them or something slightly different? Um, slightly different. You're, but you're right that we don't have a theory of quantum gravity. Well, we have ideas like string theory, but we don't know which of any of those ideas is correct. Um, inflation, so the very early universe, even though it's a very high energy, it's not that the sort of quantum gravity scale itself. So we don't need a full theory of quantum gravity to be able to solve the equations for inflation because it's not the absolute very beginning, although it's very, very early universe. And it seems that the laws of physics as we understand them, including general relativity and quantum field theory, are consistent and they do work together up to the point we can probe them. You're right that at some point, going even further back, even closer to the Big Bang, it must break down. Um, unfortunately, though, the theory I'm working on inflation, it's actually bad news for trying to learn about quantum gravity, because if inflation did happen, 
and there's plenty of observational clues that it did, it then basically annihilates everything which happened before by growing so exponentially. It sort of loses track of the initial conditions before inflation. So we normally say inflation sets the initial conditions now. That's not exactly right because something still needs to set inflation. But the point is once inflation starts, it very quickly doesn't care about how it started. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but yeah, the, it's like an attractor. So once you reach an attractor, you don't know how you found that attractor. Could you go into a little bit more detail about what you did in your PhD and what kinds of things you were looking at in the early universe you said the inflation period? Mm -hmm, sure. Yeah, so um, at that time, we were waiting for something called the Planck satellites, which was going to make the best ever map or observations of the oldest light in the universe, called the cosmic microwave background. So a lot of people, including my supervisor at the time, uh, David Wands in Portsmouth University, he was interested in making predictions from different models of inflation to compare to the data which would come along. Um, and every big experiment is delayed, so that data didn't come immediately after my PhD, as expected a few years later, but that didn't really matter. Um, so what I was trying to do was taking types of, or classes of models of inflation and calculating the the predictions of basically how linear or nonlinear the perturbations would be. So you said I'm allowed to be technical. So if you think of a Gaussian yeah. distribution or the normal cutoff, the question is whether the perturbations, so the, the properties of the hot and cold spots of this oldest light would be Gaussian distributed or not. And my challenge was to sort of take some models with more than one degree of freedom in them so they're not trivial to work with and calculate how Gaussian or not Gaussian the perturbations would be, and then wait for the Planck satellite to see if they found something interesting in terms of deviations from Gaussian or not. Uh -huh. So you said that the actual survey that would confirm or disprove this only happened years later. Has it happened already or not? Yes. Is that Okay, yeah. Um, so did it sort so... of um, validate or not validate your, your work in... Um, sadly, it did not. <laughs> I oh. said it didn't. Well, I should be careful. I wasn't. I was saying if this model, then this is what you get. And we didn't find those interesting things, which what would have been a signal of those models. Um, so it's not, you know, invalidating the results, but it wasn't justifying the complexity of the model I was working with. The fact that the perturbations have been are still consistent with being Gaussian means that we don't need these sort of extra degrees of freedom I was working with. They could still be there and simply mild sort of small corrections, but they're not major effects which have changed the picture. And so now the Planck satellite it came, it worked very well. It just took a few years longer than expected, but it hasn't seen any deviations from the simplest picture. So um, have, has, have you been continuing that work now after your PhD or have you been looking perhaps into different um, field, subfields? Um, a little bit of both. I, I'm working less and less on that field, at least directly, but I'm still interested in it. And as future observations are going to come, you know, I'm thinking at one point I might move back in that area more, more concretely. Um, but for the moment, there's no sort of new Planck satellite taking off anytime soon. 
So I've moved um, somewhat, and I'm still interested in the early universe. And now my main topic are called primordial black holes. So I'm studying black holes from the very early universe to see, for example, if they could be the mysterious dark matter that we know exists in quite big quantities through the universe. So what is it about primordial black holes that is different from, um, I don't know, maybe younger black holes? And um, also, why, why, why do you decide to study primordial black holes specifically? What is the key about them that could help us, you know, learn more about the early universe? Mm -hmm. Okay, there's a few different points to the answer. One is, they're, um, they're a way to learn about the very early universe because sort of by definition, they are a black hole which formed shortly after the Big Bang. That's what we mean by primordial. The other type of black hole is an astrophysical black hole, which would be like a dead star which has gone supernova. And then it collapses after the supernova and, and the whole what's left in the middle is can be a black hole. Um, so... Uh, the primordial black holes I'm talking about form long before the first stars. So there's a big separation as either they form in the first second or so after the Big Bang, then they're primordial, or they form about a billion years or more after the Big Bang if they're astrophysical. Um, okay, so that they could be a dark matter candidate. Well, they are a dark matter candidate. We don't know if they exist though. Um, but that wasn't initially why I worked on them. It was more when we didn't find signs of non-Gaussianity, there is a caveat, which is we only observe this oldest light on certain range of scales, quite large scales, um, basically because there's a limit to the resolution of any telescope and you're seeing something very far away. So you're, the separation between two points you can see as being distinct is still a physical large distance. You know, In the same way that if I look at a very distant mountain, I can't, see individual branches, I can just see a whole tree. And, you know, so even with a fantastic resolution, which the telescopes have got, it's still not small. Right, so on smaller scales, and smaller scales are the scales relevant for forming a black hole, because black holes are not large in cosmology terms, um, the perturbations could have a very different character. They could have a larger amplitude and they could also be non-Gaussian instead of Gaussian. Or normal distributed. Um, so I thought, you know, what else can I do with? I've spent by then about five years of my life building up a skill set on non Gaussian or non linear perturbations. Is there anything else interesting to be done with this, given that we haven't found them in nature? And well, on smaller scales, they could, they could perfectly well be there. And if they are there, then they would change quite significantly the formation of primordial black holes. Uh -huh. You mentioned that they're a dark matter candidate. What do you mean by that? Do you mean the, the object is like it could contain dark matter? What, what exactly do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I mean that they really could be dark matter, not just contain dark matter, but be the dark matter. Because so um, we know from observations of things like galaxy rotation curves, or how quickly stars are moving around, center of a galaxy, we know that there is more than the luminous matter in the galaxy. There must be more gravitational attraction because the stars are moving more quickly than expected, especially the stars very far away from the center. And this is, goes back to like Vera Rubin in the 1960s or 70s. And you need some extra component, which is called the dark matter. 
Um, the original idea is actually even older from Fritz Zwicky in the 1930s. Um, okay, so we need an extra gravitational attraction acting on the scale of galaxies or even a galaxy cluster. Um, it's not allowed to shine any light. It's not allowed to have pressure like the gas, gas clouds have pressure between them. And various observations show that cannot be true of dark matter. So it can't just be like cold gas, but it could be a black hole because a black hole doesn't have any pressure between it. It just acts gravitationally with each other. There's no electromagnetic forces consistent with dark matter. Um, so they are a possible candidate, but we know from these very high quality observations, like by the Planck satellite, dark matter was already around when the cosmic microwave background formed. So the dark matter came before the first stars. And that's why an astrophysical black hole can't be dark matter, or at least it can't be a significant fraction because we need the dark matter to be around before the first stars. So basically either dark matter should be a new particle, which is not part of the standard model of particle physics, or a primordial black hole. There's really no other sensible option that we know of. So I guess I have a more sort of philosophical question, which is that we've been looking for dark matter for decades, right? Um, but we have never essentially found anything concrete in that we're only really, um, I think, able to see how it interacts with other particles. Why is this the case? Do you think that genuinely we just need to keep trying or perhaps is there some something else that exists or is it not in our capability to detect? Why is it sort of so elusive, I guess? Mm -hmm. question. Mm. It's a very good question. Um, I'm afraid I'm a bit of a pessimist here. <laughs> you know, if you're trying to get your experiment funded, you always stress what you can detect and you try to make that sound as likely as possible or at least as plausible as possible. Um, now, I think a better analogy, though, is that we're searching under the lamppost. So if you think, imagine losing your keys somewhere in the walk home from the pub at the night, um, but it's dark. The only place you don't have a flashlight, the only place you're going to find your keys are underneath a street light. But most of the street has not underneath a street light. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, most of the parameter space, most of the different models are simply not easy to find. There's no, let's say, reasonable, affordable experiment, which will create them or find them. And dark matter, primordial black holes being an example, there's, for certain masses of the primordial black hole, we would see gravi direct gravitational impact, or we would see a gravitational waves from their merger. But if they're, say, very small, then you wouldn't never see the gravitational waves. They're too faint. And you don't see the impact of an individual very small primordial black hole, then at some point, you know, they, they just become invisible, essentially. Okay, they're black, but they're, they're invisible black. Light just travels around them. The, the fraction of the volume of space they cover is tiny. So we have a, yeah, have a challenge, let's say. Um, so you're right, there's been decades of searching and the searches have been serious and they've been, you know, not small budget, they've been professional. But I would still say we've only searched for a small fraction of all the possible dark matter candidates out there. And we don't really have a good theoretical reason to believe one model over another one. So given a massive amount of space to search and only an ability to search in a few places, we focus on the places 
well, we, the experimental community focuses on the places they have a reasonable hope to find it if it's there. But if it's not there, then I'm afraid we haven't learned that much. Um, as my final question, I guess, I wanna know in your opinion, do you think that primordial black holes as, the, as a dark matter candidate show maybe the most promise for, for potentially finding dark matter or do you just think that because so many, so many possible models out there and yet you know we only have access to a few that the chance anyways is already very small? Again, I'm gonna say I'm a bit of a pessimist and I think it's the latter, the chance is small. Um, the reason why I don't give up on them is I think they, they're very distinct because it's either a new particle and then there's literally hundreds of possible particles, none of which we know if they exist. If it's not any one of those, then I think it really has to be a primordial black hole. So the fact that it's the only non-particle candidate to me makes it very special. That doesn't make it likely or unlikely. I have no idea, you know, a priori whether a particle, and, you know, there's no reason why there shouldn't be new particles. Um, but it's a fact that we haven't found any, neither in cosmology nor in the Large Hadron Collider, nor in dark matter detectors. So, you know, that could be a clue that there aren't any, but I, I don't take that argument too seriously because, again, we're only searching in certain places within our capabilities. Um, but if it isn't a new particle, then it would be very, you know, it'd be incredibly informative to find a black hole, a primordial black hole. And so I think it's worth the risk that there are none to try and find a massive prize. And we would also learn, I should stress, not just about the dark matter, but also about the initial conditions of the very early universe. Because if they are able to form any primordial black hole, you need something quite special to be happening soon after inflation ended. And so we would get sort of two wins. We'd learn something about the dark matter, what the universe is made of, and we'd also learn something about very close to the beginning of the universe, sort of the very early history, which we can't probe by other means. So uh, there's a big prize, but in my mind, quite a small probability of finding it. Okay, thank you very much. That, that was very interesting. Um, and I, I hope, I wish you all the best of luck um, in finding, in looking for dark matter in primordial <laughs> black holes. So thank you. Yeah, thank you again for speaking with me. Right, you're welcome.